This is our town. This is where we work, where we play, where we learn, where our kids grow up. We can see God at work all around us, and we see so many people left to reach. Families who love this town as much as we do, but don't realize that God has something even better for them. Let's show them that we're for them. Yeah, that is a glimpse of some of the impact that you have made over the last few years in our community, and uh, we are so grateful for that, and most of all, we're excited about what's going to happen today because we're going to unleash another unprecedented wave of generosity throughout our community. It's going to make a world of difference, but before we get there, i got to tell you about what's coming up next week. It's important for you to know what's happening next week. I am, I've been working and thinking about this series for about two years now. Next week, I'm starting a four-week series called The Not-So-United States of America. Shouldn't be controversial at all. At all. No, no, no. If you're new around here, we don't, we don't do politics, so it's not a political series, okay? It, it's not, it'll apply to the political situation maybe in some ways, but it's not intended to be political at all. But as you know, I don't have to tell you that our country is incredibly divisive and divided right now, and there's a lot of back and forth going on. I waited until after the election intentionally to do this, so, so we've gotten past all of that, but, but there are so many divisions in the midst of our country, and even in the midst of our community right now, that I just felt it was really, really important to address those issues and to talk about uh, the role that people in the church, the role that those of us who follow Jesus maybe have had in contributing to the problem, and also what those of us who follow Jesus, and all of us really, whether you follow Jesus or not, what we could do to help reunite our country and to make the situation better. So if uh, you have friends or family members who are not really church people, but they are so frustrated by the divisiveness in our country, or they're so frustrated by one group of people, and that group of people is a problem, you know, and if they just change everything, it'd be great. This is a perfect series to invite them to. Hope you'll take the opportunity this week to do that. Uh, This is going to give us all some very, very interesting, thought-provoking content to consider and some actions to take to make our community and hopefully, eventually, our entire country better. So that's starting next Sunday. Today is one of my favorite Sundays of the year. Always look forward to this. Easter and today are my favorite Sundays as we have Four Callaway Sunday. And the reason why is because of what you do and what you have done over the course of several years now to unleash extraordinary generosity in our community and make a difference in some ways that are far beyond what I think you even understand and you even realize. So I'll I'll explain a little bit more about that in a minute. But if you're new with us today, and especially if you don't consider yourself a church person or you had a bad experience somewhere and you're kind of standoffish and skeptical about Christians or churches, I get all that. You've got good reasons to, to feel and to believe the way you feel and believe. But if that's you, you could not have picked a better day to come. I am so, so glad you're here because you're about to have a front row seat to what faith should look like in any given community and among any group of people. See, I'm convinced that there's nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. When the local church is working right, 
It is irresistible, irresistible. And by that I mean when a local church is doing what Jesus has instructed us to do, it causes, it should cause everybody in the community, whether they agree with what we believe or not, that's kind of irrelevant, it should cause them to lean in, not lean away. It should, we should be the kind of church that when we're doing what God has called us to do, people who don't believe like we believe, people who never walk through the doors would still say, I'm so glad that church is in my community. They just want to kind of get on the edge and peer in and go, oh my gosh, the things you're doing and the difference you're making and the way you're serving people, our community is better because you're there. I don't believe what you believe. I think it's kind of ridiculous. But the way you behave and the things you do in the community are extraordinary. And I don't want you to go anywhere. That's what it looks like when a local church is working right. That's what it means for a church to be irresistible. And this is, we don't always get it right, but this is what we've been trying to do for 13 years now. This has been part of the DNA of who we are. And the reason is because if you go all the way back to the first century and you begin to study that first group of Jesus followers and the churches that were formed in different parts of the Middle East there, you will find that they demonstrated some extraordinary unconditional, extravagant generosity, not just among themselves, but they demonstrated to people who in some cases were literally their enemies. In some cases were literally people who were trying to put a stop to them and to the message that they were sharing. And what turned the first century world upside down, if you go back and you study it, the thing that stood out, the thing that made the mark, the thing that made the difference was that this group of early Jesus followers loved people in a way that was impossible to ignore. And so we're still trying to do that today. If you begin to read these documents that make up what we call our New Testament, but these documents from some of the early leaders of these churches, you will find they wrote about this and they talked about this often. James was one of them. Now, you may not know a lot about James, but two things I find really interesting about him. One is he was a pastor of the very first church there in Jerusalem. He led the way there. But the other thing that's interesting to know about his story is James was actually the brother of Jesus. And we have a document, now whether you believe what James wrote or not, just imagine this, we have a document of someone who grew up with Jesus. That's pretty remarkable, whether you believe what he wrote or not, just the fact that we have a document of his writings is pretty extraordinary. James, what makes his story so unique, he didn't come to follow Jesus until after the resurrection. And as I've said before, that makes perfect sense. Because what would it take for your brother to convince you that he was God? A whole lot more than just a few miracles here and there, wouldn't it? I mean, my brother, I don't know if he's here today, but I'm telling you, my brother would have to predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off for me to even start to consider he was God. We grew up together, you know? It's kind of like, no, I'm not buying that. That was James. As he watched Jesus do what Jesus did, and these crowds began to gather, and people began to talk about him, James would be the brother who would come along and say, he's lost his mind. It's all gone to his head. You can't, you can't believe any of that. He's just, he's gone crazy. James was as skeptical and understandably so as anyone could be. And then James watched him down on a cross. He watched Jesus put in a tomb. Three days later, he's having a conversation with him, and he goes, okay, I was wrong. I'm in. I'm in. And he begins to follow Jesus at that point, becomes a pastor of this first church in Jerusalem. And he wrote a letter to some Jesus followers there in the first century. That's some extraordinary advice and input for us on how we as Jesus followers are to live and to love in our communities every single day. So I just want to read you a little snippet about it, and then I want to talk about how it applies to us and to what we're going to do today, all right? Here's what James wrote. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Answer, not any good at all. Not any good at all. James says, let's just start right here. 
If you're one of those people who say you're following Jesus, but the way you're living, the way you're behaving doesn't align with your beliefs, then your beliefs, your faith, it is worthless. It's not good for anything. As a matter of fact, the word we use to describe someone who says they have faith but they don't have any deeds, we call those people hypocrites. And for those of you, and there are a lot of us, for those of you who grew up in church or around church and you had a bad experience in church, you've had a bad experience with Christians, there's something that happened and you said, that's it, I don't want anything to do with those people, I don't want anything to do with those churches anymore. I bet if we drill down in your story, this is at the root or this is part of the problem is the fact that there were some people who said they believed one thing and they behaved in an entirely different way. And you could not put up with the hypocrisy anymore. You did not want to have to deal with that kind of hurt ever again. This is true, unfortunately, a lot of times. And James says, for those of you who claim to follow Jesus, you just need to understand. It doesn't matter what you believe. If your behaviors do not align with the beliefs, you can claim that you follow Jesus and you buy into what he taught, but if you're not living the way Jesus lived when he was on this earth, your faith is worthless. As a matter of fact, he goes on, he asks this question. He says, can such faith, the kind of faith that doesn't impact our behaviors, can such faith save them? Implication? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. To which some of us go, oh, James, wait a minute. But see, I, when I was a kid in this church, I prayed this prayer, and I asked God, you know, forgive me and to save me. So everything's good now. Like, my faith is good. James would say, no. If, if your following Jesus has not changed who you are and the way you live, your faith is worthless. You never actually got faith. You're, never, you're not actually really following. That kind of faith can't save you. It can't help you to which we all want to push back and say, yeah, but hang on just a minute. James says, no, let me just give you a simple example of this. So he presents this example to all of us. He says, suppose a brother or sister. So he uses that terminology because he's saying, let's just imagine there's someone in the church. We won't even talk about those who aren't a part of the church, although it would apply. But let's just, let's just say there's one of the people that you, they're part of, your, part of your church family that you are engaged with, doing life with. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? None at all. This is the equivalent of, first century equivalent of what people do today sometimes when they hear a need and they say, you know what, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for you. To which, if someone knocked on your door and said, hey, I'm, you know, we've run out of food, is there any way you could give us a meal? And you know this person, like you, you go to church with this person, or you work with this person, or you know, you're in the neighborhood, you live in the neighborhood with this person. If, if they knock on your door and ask that, and you say, sorry, I hope, hope it all works out for you, I'll pray for you. Well, James' point is, what kind of faith do you have? Not much of one. Not much of one. That's no good. As a matter of fact, that does more harm than good, does it not? James' point is simply this, that your faith, if it's genuine, it will impact the way you relate with other people. It will impact the way you love one another. This goes all the way back to what Jesus taught. You remember just before Jesus' arrest, he looks at his disciples and he says, okay, there's one thing you got to remember. I've got one new command for you, just one. All the other commands you had in the Judaic religion, they're, they're all pushed aside. They're not relevant anymore. There's just one command for you to follow. I want you to love one another the way I've loved you. That's it. And the better you are at loving others, Jesus taught, the closer you are to God. The better you are at loving others, the better you are at loving God. 
And the worse you are at loving one another, the further away from God you are. The best way to demonstrate your love for God is through the way you treat and interact with the people all around you. It is that kind of love that demonstrates and authenticates our faith in following Jesus. This is a point James is trying to drive home. He continues on. He says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, here's what James is trying to drive at. James is trying to help us understand there is no such thing as an isolated faith. Some of us treat our faith like that app we have on our phone, and it's hidden in a folder on like the third page if you keep scrolling over. And every now and then, we pull it out when we need it, and it's really helpful, and it's really handy, and we open that thing up, and we have to search to find it because we've forgotten where it is. But then we open it up, you know, and we use it, and it's great. And, but then as soon as we're done with it, we put it back in that folder, and it's out of sight, out of mind until the next time we need it. James is saying, some of you treat your faith that way. It's just a category for you. It's just an app in a folder. It's just isolated. And you show up every now and then on a Sunday, and you can click that folder, and you open up that app, and it's good, and it's nice, and you walk out feeling good about yourself, and you, know, you feel like, hey, I connected with God. But then you close it and stick it back in the folder, and you just go on about your world, and your, your faith doesn't interact or impact in any way who you are in the workplace. Your faith doesn't interact or impact your marriage your dating life, your friendships, the relationships you have with people you interact with every day. Your, your faith doesn't impact or interact with how you manage your finances and, and your intentional desire to be generous to people around you. It doesn't interact or impact your parenting. This is what James is getting at. He's saying, no, 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 you've got to understand. Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, if it's just isolated, if it's just something you pull out every now and then when you need to feel a little bit better about yourself, no, it's, it's dead. It's worthless. That is not genuine faith. And then he concludes this little section with this statement. He says, but someone will say, he says, I know, I know you're going to argue with me about this. I get it. He says, someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. In other words, he says, you'll get into conversations and some of you will say, well, I have faith and that's enough. Others of you will say, well, I have deeds and that's enough. It's all good. James says, no, no, no. You show me your faith without deeds. I will show you my faith by my deeds. I'm going to show you my faith by what I do and the way that I love. James' point is simply this. Actions authenticate your faith. Actions authenticate your faith. If you want to know where you stand with God, it's not just a matter of, well, I prayed a prayer at some point and, you know, I asked Jesus to forgive me, so I think I'm all good. No, your faith is authenticated. You know it's genuine. You know it's real. When following Jesus is not isolated over here, when following Jesus has impacted every sphere and arena of your life, when your entire life has been reoriented around Jesus, and how he taught us and demonstrated for us that we are to love one another. That's what authenticates your faith. Which means, which means it is impossible to have a genuine faith and be terrible to work with. It is impossible to have a genuine faith and be miserable to live with. It is impossible to have a genuine faith and you go on a mission trip, and everybody on the mission trip with you wants to throw you out of the van before you ever get there. It's like, no, 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 there's a problem there. There's a problem there. It doesn't, doesn't matter what you claim to believe. If that belief 
doesn't impact the way you behave and the person you become. You, Paul, James says, excuse me, you should hit pause. And you should reconsider whether your faith is genuine. Because it is always actions that authenticate your faith. Another way to think of it is this. How can we follow the one who said, love one another the way I have loved you, and then literally went and demonstrated that love by dying on a Roman cross? How can we follow that person and not love people who are critical of us or difficult to live with? How can we say we follow the one who loved his enemies and not love ours as well? How can we follow the one who was full of grace and truth and we're just full of ourselves? There is a disconnect there. James would say, not me, don't get mad at me. James would say, your faith is dead. Your faith, my faith, if that's true of us, it is worthless. Absolutely worthless. So, that's why I love what we do today so much. Because as a group of Jesus followers, as a church, we don't always get this right. We would be the first to admit we don't always get it right. We, we screw this up and mess this up in a lot of different ways at a lot of different times and have to go back and apologize and try to make it right. But we're constantly working to make sure that our beliefs align with our behaviors and our behaviors align with our beliefs. And we are constantly working to become more loving, to become more like Jesus and how we treat the people around us. And this Sunday, every single year, we've done this for a few years now, every year when we come to the holiday season and we do this for Callaway Sunday, it is a chance for those of us who are Jesus followers to practice getting better at loving people, at having a faith that genuinely makes an impact in our community, at having the kind of faith that causes people to say, I'm not sure I believe that, but I want to lean in and belong to something like that. I want to lean in and be a part of something like that. And so if you're new, let me give you a little bit of history. Thirteen years ago when we started the church, I had a coach who asked me in the very first year, he said, Matt, I want to know if your church shut down tomorrow, would there be anybody in your community outside the people who attend your church who would even notice or care? And that question rocked me because at that point I wasn't sure that they would. At that point, as bad as we were at this, I wasn't sure the people who came would have cared. You know, it was like we, were, we did not know what we were doing. So we began to have conversations around what it looks like to do exactly what James described. What it looks like to be the kind of people who, if we left, people all throughout our community, even if they didn't agree with us, if they never came here, they would miss us. And so we began partnering up with nonprofit organizations in our community. And the reason we did that is because we had watched a lot of churches who, you know, they would start their own thing, they would do a food pantry, they would do this program, they would do that program. And I'm not being critical of that, but to, to us that just didn't make any sense because we have some nonprofits throughout our communities around here who are doing extraordinary work. And our thought was, we don't want to duplicate what they're doing. If they're doing a phenomenal job at it, why don't we come alongside them? Why don't we try to resource them with volunteers with time and also resource them with money? And help them go further faster. So it started with one organization. And then it grew. And it grew. And it grew. And it grew. And then about six years ago, we decided, hey, what if we did an offering around the holiday season and we just give every dime of it away to these organizations? They won't know what's coming. They won't know what they're going to get. But we're going to vet them. We're going to figure out who has needs and what those needs are. And then let's just try to surprise them and meet some of the needs. And if you don't work in the nonprofit world, one of the things that you need to understand is it's much easier to get people to give money to uh, 
meet a need of an actual person than it is to help with the infrastructure, to help with office space, to help with salaries. But you got to have all of that as a nonprofit in order to make the impact that they're trying to make. And so we say, let's just come along. And if they need help hiring somebody part-time, we'll try to help them. If they need help with getting you know, new computers, we'll try to buy them new computers. If they need help you know, with whatever the infrastructure may be, office space, whatever it is, we'll, just, we'll see if we can give enough money to do that. And over the course of several years now, we have given a few hundred thousand dollars back away to our communities. And today, we're going to have an opportunity to do it again. Just in the last six years with this offering, we've given nearly $300,000 back into the community to these nonprofits and to individuals in our community. Today, we will blow past the $300,000 mark. But the reason we do it, the reason we do it, listen, is not because we are a philanthropic organization, although that's important. The reason we do it is because we follow a Savior who said, love one another the way I have loved you. And then he gave up his life for us all. So the least we can do is to turn around and demonstrate generosity back to our community because of the extraordinary generosity we have received. And it doesn't matter to us if these nonprofits are Christian or not. As a matter of fact, most of them are not. We just want to find the ones who are doing great work, come alongside them, and try to help them go further faster. So today... In just a few minutes, as you leave, you're going to have an opportunity to give, and every single dime of what you give is going straight to meet needs in this community. And those needs are going to center around four different things. There are four causes or four needs that we have chosen to focus on, and we've tried, instead of going wide with a whole lot of things and just giving a little here and there, we've tried to go deep with a few so we can make the biggest impact possible, okay? So let me just go over again for you, and for some of you, this is brand new information, the four different needs that we're going to be addressing as we help these nonprofits. The first one is hunger. It's hunger. It is always shocking to people when they discover how many people in our counties right here around us don't have enough food. How many kids go home on the weekends and if they don't get some assistance, they don't have enough food to eat over the weekend until they come back to school and have meals at breakfast and lunch at school. It's shocking when people begin to discover how many senior adults there are who don't have enough food to get by. And so there are some extraordinary organizations in our communities who come alongside them and provide food for these kids, provide food for these families, provide food for these senior adults as necessary. And they do a phenomenal job of making sure that they give food to those who need it, that they help them as best they can to get back on their feet so they don't need it in the future. They do some incredible work behind the scenes, and if you're not in the middle of it, if you don't volunteer at these organizations, you will not see it, you will not hear about it, but they are some of the heroes of our community. And so we're going to come alongside these organizations. We're going to try to help make it a little easier for them to serve the people in our communities who need help when it comes to food. The second issue is children at risk. This is another one that unless you talk to some people who are in the middle of this, you have no idea. But there are some heartbreaking stories heartbreaking stories in our communities of kids who are in situations where it's just not safe, where it's just not healthy. And there's some organizations who do a phenomenal job of coming alongside them. And during a very, very traumatic, very, very uncertain, very, very hurtful and difficult period in that child's life, they put some adults in their life to be their advocates. They put some adults in their life to support them. They put some adults in those kids' lives to love on them. And what I love about these organizations are they also come along and they try to help the parents. 
to understand and learn the skills that they need to make the changes they need to make in their lives so those families can be reunited again. There are a few hundred kids just in Callaway County alone, same in Marshall, same in Graves, who are at risk and need this kind of support. So we're going to come alongside organizations that do a phenomenal job at that, and we're going to help them. The third one is recovery, recovery from addiction, particularly drugs and alcohol. And you may have had this experience, most of us, if, if you haven't dealt with an addiction yourself, we have a family member, we all have a friend who has, we know how tough this is. We know what a tough battle this is to win. Anytime I meet somebody who's battling addiction or has been through this, my respect level for them just goes through the roof because of what a tough battle it is to change their life. And yet there are some phenomenal, phenomenal stories of people who are doing that. And there are some great organizations that are coming alongside and providing support and helping people do that because this issue is often at the root of a lot of the other issues in our community. So we're going to come alongside some places and we're going to provide them the support they need to be able to better help those who have taken the courageous step of trying to recover from addiction and change their life and change their family future forever. And then finally, the last area is housing. Is housing. There are um, more needs than you can imagine in terms of children in our community who do not have a safe, warm place to live and, as we have discovered recently, a safe, warm bed to sleep in every night. And there is a brand new nonprofit organization who's just gotten started in the last few months here in our community that's serving Graves County, Marshall County, and Callaway County. It's called Sleep in Heavenly Peace, and they are addressing part of this housing situation. And Julie Morris is with us today. Julie is the volunteer director of Sleep in Heavenly Peace. And I said, hey, I want to interview you. I just want them to hear directly from you about the impact that Sleep in Heavenly Peace is making. So would you guys welcome Julie? Come on. Thank you. Come right over here. You can stand in front of the TV. It's fine. So, hey, start out by telling them a lot of them probably haven't heard of Sleep in Heavenly Peace. Tell them about the mission. Tell them about why you guys started it and what, what you're doing. Okay, I believe the mission says it all, and that is that no child sleeps on the floor in our town. And now, uh, thanks to Sleep in Heavenly Peace, the national organization, no, our town is everybody's town. Um, it has grown just since February from 13 chapters to by the end of the year, we will have 130 chapters nationwide. Yeah, thank you. And by the way, before you go on, so, so if you're interested in this, uh, Mike Rowe, you, Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs, some of you remember that show? Mike Rowe has a Facebook show that he did, and it's part of what helped blow Sleep in Heavenly Peace up nationally. Uh, do you remember the name of the show? I'm putting you on the spot. Returning the Favor. Returning the Favor. If you go to Facebook and you search Returning the Favor, there is an episode uh, about Sleep in Heavenly Peace that is incredible. It takes you 20 minutes to watch, but it will, it will have you in tears when it's over. So, yeah, so go ahead. Tell them a little bit more then about what you guys are doing. Well, that's exactly where we found it is... is on the Facebook page, on the show, Returning the Favor. And it's something that just struck me. I've always been interested in serving children. Uh, so my whole life has been very, very, various things doing that. Um, my brother is someone who likes to build. And I thought, hey, we could build a couple of bunk beds in our warehouse. No problem. Uh, it's so much bigger. Um, when we met with the schools, resource centers, we have learned that there's needs for beds anywhere from 9 to 12 a month. 
um, Child Protective Services receives new, new cases, not even their caseload, new cases of anywhere from 30 to 40 um, children a month. These are just the, these are kids who don't have a safe, warm bed at all that they're sleeping in. Exactly. That's our only goal. Um, we're not, that's the only need we're meeting. Uh, so we build beds with volunteers and with funding, and we gather the community. It can be churches like you. It can be businesses that we will be approaching. Uh, we've had support from all over, and we bring those people together to build beds on a Saturday, about three, four hours, and we can build anywhere from five to ten beds on a Saturday, and then we go out and deliver, and we also include you in the delivery process as well, which is, that's the magic. So, to, I want to take the time to do this. Just give them one story. Uh, you guys have just been doing this for a few months, but you've already seen some major impact. Just give them one story of, of how this is making a difference. We've been able to deliver 15 beds already, um, so that's, and that is, in the, like you said, in the three counties. I think the biggest impact that the stories that we've had is realizing that it doesn't just affect these kids. Um, the story that was near to your heart and to mine is that the mom wrote back and said um, that was the first time in years that her children have slept through the night. That means we're impacting that mom as well. Not that she's just grateful to have a bed for her kids who were sleeping on the floor, um, but that now she has peace of mind and she got rest and she can deal better with her family because the kids are now sleeping. I loved in this letter this mom wrote to thank them for what they had done. The mom said, I just thought my kids were terrible sleepers and we put them in a bed and they slept all night. So uh, we, we sometimes take for granted something that other people don't get to experience and it does make a world of difference. Tell, tell them um, how can our church, how can, how can these folks best help, get involved, what, what are the needs that you have? Just, just tell them what they can do to be a part of this. In general, unfortunately, every one of our um, people that you're helping, it's funding. So the funding goes a long way. We can build, we have materials, we can purchase bedding. You can purchase bedding and donate it. Um, you can, a bed costs $375. That's the two beds with mattresses, pillows, blankets, comforters. That's everything. everything. 300 and how much? 375. 375. Per, per bunk. And that gets two kids off the floor. And um, that's with delivery, free setup, all of that. No charge to a family whatsoever. Yeah. So Julie's going to be around afterwards. If you'd like to learn more, you can catch her up there. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But before you go, we have a little surprise for you. Uh -oh. uh, these, these people are incredibly generous. And so I am assuming they're going to be again today. <laughs> and we are going to go ahead and fund a build for you. We have a check for you we would like to give you, you. to help provide some beds. So thank you so much thank for what you're doing. Yeah, would you guys thank Julie? Thank you, thank you very much. Okay, now you have to give so that doesn't bounce, all right? That's the way this is about to work. Let me tell you there are two things that I want to ask you to do today, okay? Very simple, want to be very clear. First of all, for a lot of you, you should take a step to serve, to serve in one of these nonprofits, just to figure out a way to serve maybe with your family or to serve with some friends in this community to make a difference because it is powerful when you show up and serve. It's a powerful, powerful way to show people how much God loves them. You show folks how much God loves them by how well you serve them. And so for some of you, that is the step. 
We have made it really easy today. I want to tell you about two ways you can get information on serving. One is we have invited some of these nonprofits to be here today. And so when you leave, they are going to be, as you leave, you'll see tables right along the other side of that pipe and drape up there by the cafe. They're going to be at those tables. You can go talk to them about what they do, learn more about it, figure out volunteer opportunities. I want to show you real quickly who is going to be up there, okay? Needline, Needline, uh, some of you may know, does a phenomenal job. They serve about 1,300 families every single month, provide food, provide all kinds of assistance. They are extraordinary for our community, Soup for the Soul. Also provides a hot meal every single day for folks. They do some great work, and they uh, provide food for kids over the summer. They did some of that. They've done a lot of work there. Hope in Murray, some of you are familiar with Eight Days of Hope. Uh, which is an organization we partnered with for quite a while. And when there are natural disasters anywhere in the nation, uh, people from Eight Days of Hope, thousands of volunteers show up and help clean up and then help rebuild. We actually have several folks from our church that are gone. They have been gone most of the fall, actually, because of all the natural disasters. But they're with Eight Days of Hope now. Well, Eight Days of Hope has um, encouraged and applauded that group of people from our church to also start a local chapter called Hope in Murray. Okay, so Hope and Murray has been doing the same type of work as Eight Days of Hope, only they've been doing it in the surrounding counties around here. They've been working in Hopkinsville with a nonprofit that helps women who are recovering from addiction. They do a lot of great work, and uh, that may be something you're interested in. Near Town, Near Town Living is uh, an organization that was founded by Jeremy Rose, who's a part of our church, and they walk with people who are battling addiction, particularly men, but they're uh, looking to add a women's area soon. They walk with these men and provide support, a support center for them, and help them on their road to recovery. They do phenomenal, phenomenal work. They're up there. Sleep in Heavenly Peace, you just heard from Julie. PASAC helps uh, victims of sexual assault. They uh, fly under the radar largely, but they work throughout our entire region and provide some extraordinary support and services uh, to people who have gone through some very, very traumatic experiences. And then Casa by the Lakes, uh, some of you have heard us talk about Casa before. They show up for these children in at-risk situations and put a mentor, an advocate, an adult in their life to love and support these kids and to help the parents try to get the family reunited again. So all of those organizations are here. They will be there for you to talk with them afterwards. Uh, but I just want to pause because y you don't hear about these individuals. You don't see what they do unless you need them. But they are some of the heroes of our community. They do extraordinary work, make our community so much better. They're here with us today. Would you guys thank them for all the incredible work they do for our community? So for some of you, you just need to stop at a table and figure out how you can get involved. One of these causes is really a big deal to you. You're passionate about it, so stop. The other thing I want to make you aware of is our team has done an incredible job uh, of rolling out a resource for you that I wanted to make sure you knew about. For those of you who have our app, and if you don't, you can go to your app store on your phone and just search Journey Callaway, and it'll come up. Uh, on our app now, I think they've got a shot of it. If you click on uh, connect at the bottom, this page will come up, and right at the top it says four Callaway serving ideas. So basically, if you um, are looking for something to do with friends, there are options for adults. You can pick some uh, serving ideas out of there and just go do it in the community. If you have preschoolers, if you have elementary kids, middle or high schoolers, 
there are options for you as well. So there is never, and again, an excuse of, I'd like to do something I don't know what to do. It's right there in the app, okay? You can just find one that you think would be fun or you think would be helpful, and you can go do it as a family or you can go do it as a group of friends, and you can do that all year long. That will stay on our app. So I just wanted to make sure you knew about that. So I would love for you to take a step to serve. The other thing I want to challenge you to do, obviously, is to give, is to give. And we're about to give in just a minute. Uh, but let me explain something to you. We do not set a financial goal for this. I just quit doing that because y'all kept blowing it out of the water every time we set one. So, so I, we don't have a goal for this offering. Last year, you gave about $64,000 that we gave away. That was remarkable. And I think we can do even better this year. Uh, I just have one goal, and the goal is simply 100% participation, okay? I just want everybody to play in this one. You say, well, that's the preacher out to get your money. Yes, I am out to get your money because I'm not going to see a dime of it, all right? It's not for us. So, so I am out to get your money today. I'd love for everybody to participate. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian, not a Christian, church person, not a church person. You should play along because all the money is going directly to these organizations and these individuals who are making a huge impact. And let me just say real quickly, we have a lot of people who watch online. Some of you are watching online. I know you're there. I know you're there. And you're going to have to give too. So I'll tell you how in a minute. Let me show you that we try to make this real easy. You can figure out how much you want to give, but let me show you the ways to give, okay? There's several of them. First of all, at the end of the service, if you came and you brought a check or you brought cash and you want to give, you can drop that into that yellow envelope you got. And as you leave, there are going to be guest services volunteers at the top of the stairs down here if you exit this way. You can drop your envelope in the bucket, and uh, that will take care of it. You can go on your device right now to givejourney.com. And as you give there, you'll see under funds, there's a four Calway fund. Just choose that fund, and uh, all the money will be given away. If some of you, a lot of you use the app to give, so you can just on the app go and, again, choose the four Calway fund. Uh, for some of you, you're like, I want to use a debit card or a credit card. What do I do? I don't want to do it online. I don't want to do it through my phone. Okay, here's what you do. When you leave today, the suite is up there in upper concourse on your left. Right across from the suite, there is a small pub table, and they're going to be there uh, with a square reader, you can stop right there and swipe your card and give that way. Uh, that's pretty simple. And then uh, some of you text your gifts in. If you don't do this, I'm not going to explain to you how. But for those of you who text your gifts in, you can text to this. Just put whatever amount, and right after that, put the letters FC, and that will go to the 4 Calway Fund as well, okay? So my goal is simply to get all of us giving. If you're watching online, you can go on your device right now and give. If you're in the service, you can give any of these ways. My goal is just to get you to give, and we will give every penny of it away, and in about three weeks or so, we will um, come back and show you a video of what you did in this community as we gave all of this away. For far too long, listen, for far too long, the church has been known for what's against. We want to be known for what we are for, and we want to be known for who we are for. We want everybody in our community to know that we are for them, but most importantly, that God is for them. And there is no better way to authenticate our faith and to deliver that message than through no strings attached, extravagant generosity. So we're going to start another wave of that today. And it's going to make an impact bigger than what you can imagine. But most of all, we're going to send the message that there is a Father in heaven who loves the people in this community. That there is a Father in heaven who cares about them. And that God is for them whether they are for God or not.
So, here's how we're going to dismiss today. No song, no prayer. You just better get your giving ready, okay? Everybody with me? Okay, that's, that's not going to cover that check I just gave. So, everybody with me? That's much better. Okay, three, two, one, go get big. We'll see you next Sunday.